Hello and happy Thursday, everyone. I know you guys missed me. I did not podcast last Friday, but guess what? I'm here today with a bonus episode to make up for it. We're not going to flip the script today. I'm going to save that for my official podcast, which will take place tomorrow. Today, I want to talk to you guys about a recent book that I read. The book is titled Mothering While Black, Boundaries and Burdens of Middle-Class Black Mothers. The author of this book is Don Marie Dial. In this book, Don interviewed black middle-class mothers to analyze their parenting styles. And what she found out was that the parenting styles of the mothers that she interviewed were largely influenced by racial inequality. Put in other words, racism had a lot to do with the way black middle-class mothers raised their children. Many of the mothers that Don interviewed admitted to training their children to act non-black, but to instead to adapt to white habitus. White habitus is a sociological term that describes the lifestyle of white people. It includes the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they dress, and the types of hobbies that they participate in. In case you didn't know, white habitus is the societal norm, and anything that doesn't conform to white habitus is considered deviant. And this is why the mothers that Don interviewed employed strategies in socializing their children into white spaces. They wanted to ensure that their children could maintain their middle-class social status. Therefore, the mothers were really strict with their children in order to control their behavior in such a way that they were not seen as deviant. Because deviance from white habitus means that now you're just another statistic. So the ways in which these parents tried to prevent their children from becoming another statistic was to adapt to European culture. They started in the household where they policed the way their children walked and talked. Then they moved out into mainstream society and regulated the way their children dressed by adapting to European fashion and making sure that when their children stepped outside, they looked acceptable. But when their children started to emerge into social institutions, such as neighborhoods and the school systems, they realized that their children were just not fitting in. They stood out like sore thumbs. They realized that everything about society was based on European lifestyle or white habitus. Now, this is where that quote that I analyzed in the previous episode, if you can't beat them, join them, 
comes into play. Once the mothers realized that even though they were doing a little better than low-income families, that they were still a minority, they thought to themselves, I better just join them since I don't have a fighting chance in beating them. They started to look for other ways to socialize their children into the dominant class. And guess what they found, y'all? Enrichment activities. Now, there's nothing wrong with enrolling your children into extracurriculum activities, but what the Arthur learned was that even these extracurricular activities have a racial undertone. Activities like athletic sports and dance classes, and even in some cases choir, were mostly found in low-income neighborhoods compared to piano lessons, violin lessons, and tap dancing classes, which were mostly found in neighborhoods that were predominantly white. This led to some of the parents' decision to either change neighborhoods or to look for schools outside of the neighborhood and send their children there. A lot of the parents admitted to switching neighborhoods or to porting their children out to neighborhoods that were predominantly white, where they would be exposed to school systems and enrichment activities where their child can go and socialize and learn how to behave like a white person. They wanted to foster specific identities for their children, which ultimately did not include African-American culture. Yo, the saddest part about this is the parents did not realize that what they were doing was ultimately reinforcing the same racial inequality that they were trying to fight against. The only good thing about this is that African-American families started to port out of neighborhoods that had been redlined by the government. They started emerging in neighborhoods where the probability for success was higher. After reading this book, I decided to do a little bit of research myself. I searched for neighborhoods that have been redlined, and I found this map. This map is interactive. You can actually type in zip codes and specific characteristics into this map and it will tell you which areas are more successful and which areas are less successful. The more successful areas are not concentrated with African Americans. And the areas that are deemed less successful have high incarceration rates, high poverty rates, yet low employment rates. So I would say that these parents did a good job in moving their children out of redlined areas because redlining is a systematic way that the government has continuously marginalized minority groups of people. The only thing that disappoints me about this is that this kind of success 
seemingly could not be done by maintaining African-American culture, but by instead constraining our characteristics and embracing white habitus. And you know what? This book was an eye-opener because it, it helps me to understand that sometimes we think we are making choices concerning our lives when we are not making choices. The choice has already been made for us. The educational system is set up in such a way that race, class, and gender pushes minority populations into statistics. Even if you work hard to become successful, there is still a designated place for you in society as a minority. And that place basically means that you have no power. Depending on where you live, if you are a minority, you will always fall in a low-income bracket or the disappearing middle class. Now I understand why they say the middle class is disappearing. The middle class is disappearing because they're pushing us away. They're pushing us out of neighborhoods that are meant for success and pushing us into poverty-stricken neighborhoods. And that's where we become invisible at. With that being said, I'm going to leave some resources for you guys to check out in the description of this episode which will include the link to that map I was telling you about and wouldn't you know the map is titled the opportunity atlas hmm the opportunity atlas I will leave the link to that map in the description of this video I'm hoping that all my fellow minorities whether you are man woman child if you're looking to move your family into better areas where you can become better successful and you don't want to be redlined anymore, before you make that move, check out this Opportunity Atlas and find places where your chances for upward mobility are higher. And I want to leave this with a call to action. Being that the educational system is reinforcing all of these social inequalities, I want to challenge us as a minority to come up with our own educational system. We have to find a way to embrace our own heritage and our own culture. It's not enough to just have one day out of the month or one month out of the year. We need an educational system that's founded on the culture for minorities such as African-American and Latinos and indigenous peoples. If you're with me on this, go ahead and share this episode with a friend or a few friends. I'm also going to attach my previous episode that I referenced here titled, If You Can't Beat Them, Join Them, where I did address how we become statistics by the way they push these narratives up on us and we fail to realize what's really happening until it's too late. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for your patience. Until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of your families.